0: want to give a big shout out and thank you. There's just a handful of people that uh, put in 7,000, nope, 3,600 square feet of flooring downstairs. Can we give them a round of applause? Like they know who they are. Um, And they don't want recognition, because I know each and every one of these people, and it embarrassed them, and they would shame me afterwards for it. But uh, we deeply appreciate you guys coming down here for the last three and a half weeks. And downstairs, if you were down there before, um, there's no more blue carpets. And the walls look better. It's just coming together. And so also just want to thank everybody who has participated in giving towards that project and making that space not look like as much of a dungeon anymore. So thank you very much. If you have your Bible, you can open up to John chapter 1. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this day, for your mercy and your love and your kindness. And as we study your scriptures, um, we just pray that we see Jesus high and lifted up. And that you would captivate and grab our attention. But more so this morning, we know that you have given us your attention. And you have heard us and see us and you are with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, this is our last teaching here in this Advent season and this idea of hope has come. And what we're going to look at this morning is the attention that God gives us. And so in John chapter 1, let's read this in verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people and they did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this is of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Talk is cheap. Anybody ever heard that before? Talk is cheap. Or how about put your money Ah, see, you can finish that for me. Have you ever said that to somebody? Now, here's a question I want you to ask yourself What do we mean by that? Talk is cheap. When that word is, excuse me, when that phrase is paired together with that set of words strung in a sentence, what we are saying is your words are really not enough. In fact, your words are empty, your words are vain, your words mean nothing to me. Because what we really want at the end of the day in a production sort of society is we want action behind your words. We want follow through. Now, when we use that phrase and hear that phrase, what we don't always understand is that begins to seep into the core of who we are and we really truly begin to believe deep down that talk is cheap. It presents this subtle message that words, whether you see this on the billboard of that phrase or not, words are meaningless. Okay? That is the subtle message that the phrase talk is cheap presents to us. And while that phrase, that expression may hold weight in the real world, the world in which you live in, I don't particularly appreciate it. I don't. And here's why. It's fundamentally unbiblical because it devalues the significance of words. It's fundamentally unbiblical because it devalues the significance of our words. What do I mean by that? We're going to get to talk about this all this morning. But what I want to argue, what I want to talk about, what I want to share with us is that words are powerful. Talk is not cheap. Talk is costly. Talk is going somewhere. Talk is doing something. Talk is a road that we're going down. I would argue that words are incredibly powerful. What we say, what we discuss what we dream about, what we talk about, what we express to others, whether it comes to fruition or not, whether there's actually action behind it or not, our words are powerful. Even your actionless speech that you maybe participate in, it's costly. Words bring us credibility or they discredit us, our very character. They tell us who we are with our speech. This morning, none of your words are said in a vacuum. They're not just in some empty, vain space, not even the words that you speak to yourself when nobody is around. Words are powerful. Words have been used for centuries to convince some people that they're smart and other people that they're incredibly dumb. They can tell us if we're as what Carson was talking about last week, in or out of a particular group by the words we share about certain people and their actions and the things that they do. Words set a trajectory going forward. They do. They can motivate us to act a certain way. They can be used to build up or destroy. In fact, in the Proverbs 18.21, it says, "'The tongue has the power of life and death, "'and those who love it will eat its fruits.'" Eugene Peterson, in his Message Bible, which is really like scripture in very plain language, said, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit. You choose. I've sat with people who have used words to build one another up and have used words to put the knife in the back and to twist it and to bring people to the lowest of lows. We've seen words bring nations to their knees. We've seen words used to start, create, perpetuate war. We've seen words used to bring peace. Words have real power. Now, words are not used to manifest destiny, okay? This is a popular thing right now. I speak this into existence. I speak this into reality. I speak this blessing over your life, and it's what's going to happen. Yes, we believe in the prophetic sense, as we've talked about that in times past, but there's this popular idea right now going on where we can kind of speak into existence our very own future. That's not what I'm talking about this morning when I talk about words are powerful, but our words do more than convey information. They have an impact on people. I need you to hear that. They have an impact on people, and they can burden their spirits. They can stir up hatred. We've seen them rip apart nations. Words are important. You guys hear me on that? Now, as we read in that Proverbs, words give life. Words bring death. And in that effect, what's being told to us is, you choose You choose how you're going to use your words. You choose how you're going to talk about others. You choose how you're going to have this outlook on life. These words, they have direction to them, and you're either going to give direction of life or down a destructive path. Words have power. That's number one. I think you heard it. I think you got it, okay? Number two, words shape your belief. You are a collection are a collective of the influences that you've had in your life. Now, this begins at a young age. You were formed. People spoke to you. People talked about you. People put ideas in your head. And you're trying to filter these things through and think about them and come to conclusions about what you believe in this life, in this world. But what's going on is we are this collection of the influence that we've had in our life and they influence what we believe about other people, what we believe about this world, what we believe about eternity, what we believe about if there's a God or not. This input begins to shape how we think, how you view everything around you. Now, so much of me as a independent American wants to think that all of my thoughts and all of my ideas have originated from within myself. I am not that smart. In fact, every time I write a sermon, I realize the influence of all the authors that I've read and all the pastors that I've spoke with, all the songs that we have sang in church are influenced the way in which I speak, in which I teach, in which I talk to us about the scriptures. This is all shaping us. Can we agree that words shape us? Now, your upbringing does not lock you in to having to think a certain way. It certainly might be an obstacle that you have to overcome, but it doesn't lock you in because sometimes there can be a catalyst. Something can happen in your life, in my life, that begins to form and shape us and push us into another direction. Think about it like this. Say you are in your mid-20s and you're single and you're wanting just to make a whole grip of money. That's what your life is about. Maybe it's because you came from money and you feel like it's the only way to be accepted. Maybe it's because you didn't come from money and you feel like it's what will make you accepted and give you approval in the world's eyes. And so you set your life on this path and you get all of the tools you need to start doing this. And then something happens. You get pregnant or you get her pregnant. And your whole life was about making money and career and just being single and enjoying life but this catalyst comes in. And now all of a sudden, you're talking about binkies, poop time, changing diapers. Your whole realm and speech begins to change from things that you never used to even think about to becoming what you actually talk about. A catalyst comes in and changes your trajectory. Now, you've still got a lot of your past upbringing that you're filtering through and that you're dealing with. It doesn't eradicate previous views. It even maybe influences how you're going to parent, how you're going to think about this child, how you're going to raise this child, but something has happened in which you've now deconstructed your view and you're building something up in its place. See, those things can happen, but the words, the talk, the speech the values implemented in us are still the strong force in our life. So, words have power, words have influence. The question is, why? Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I love the phrase, sticks and stones, right? Mm-hmm. They can break my bones, which hurts like heck. <laughs> but words will never hurt me. But we all know we'd rather have a broken finger than our best friend betray us with their words, wouldn't we? We'd all rather have a broken leg or a rock thrown at us than to have horrible things spoken about us. Why are words so powerful? And what the heck does this have to do with Advent? It's by God's design. It's by God's design. In Genesis 1, God spoke first thing we see him doing. And it wasn't meaningless, powerless kind of speech. God spoke creation into existence with his very mouth forming the world that we see around us. The Almighty God, the Father, spoke, and then in the garden, he speaks with humanity that he creates, talking with them, walking with them, as that phrase goes. In the cool of the day, he chooses to communicate with humans in a way he does not communicate with any other portion of the animal kingdom, giving us this ability to speak and communicate, not only amongst ourselves, but with him as well. Let the wonder of this grip you. The word speaks. He speaks, and it's powerful, and God makes himself knowable, and God makes himself understandable through his very speech. This is a God then, this is a God then, who is not distant. He comes near, and he's used words to explain who he is, who we are, and what life is about. God is not just a God who does. Such an American mentality to think of God as a God who only does and production and gets the results done. But he is a God who speaks. He speaks powerfully, creatively, consistently, clearly to the very people that he's made. And he's always talking in the scriptures before he does something. He's talking about what he's going to do. As he's doing it, he talks about what he's doing. And when he's done, he talks about what he has done. He speaks constantly. He speaks exhaustively. He speaks lovingly. What do his words do? Here it is. They give us attention. They give us attention. So much of these kind of talks, when we talk about attention and God, tend to circle around the idea of how do we show more attention to God? You guys probably heard a lot on that. In fact, we're going to spend 13 weeks come February on really this idea of how to make ourselves in this posture, this position of, Lord, we want to receive from you. We're going to dig into this and spend time in in it. But do you know that God shows you attention? How do I know that? By his speech. And we're going to have some fun with this for a second. In our culture... One of the most valuable assets right now, today, probably always has been this way, but it's just so apparent, is your attention. It's a valuable asset right now. Here's what I mean. What sights we set before our eyes, what words that get into our ears, they influence us as image bearers, and they do bring this deep, lasting impact on who we are, all the way down to how we spend our time, how we spend our money, where we go, what we do, what we think about. These things are captivating our attention. Now, in previous generations, and we'll just look at America in general, the largest companies sold oil and gasoline, right? There's a lot of you who grew up in that era. Today, the largest companies sell human attention. Yeah, how is right. Facebook, Instagram, Google, YouTube... What they're doing is they're free yet garnering, gathering your attention, and they sell it to advertisers. Right? Maybe you saw the social dilemma. Apple, one of the largest companies of all, they actually created a device that is basically a billboard. You guys all know what a billboard is when you drive down to LA, they're up there, and you just get one drive by, and you're like, yep, saw it, know what you're all about? That billboard is now in your pocket, and that device turned all of life into this endless possibility of capturing human attention. You ever thought about that? The pixelated billboards, we now carry around them in our pockets. We have an attention economy. It's not new, almost 200 years ago, going back to the 1830s, when a New York businessman created a newspaper costing just a cent. Why? Because if instead of selling content to readers, he planned to sell his readers to advertisers. This is noted by Cal Newport as he tells the story in Digital, digital Minimalism. Eventually, newspapers were filled with ads. Then when television came, it was filled with ads. Then the internet. Right? Right? Here it is in the 1830s. I could sell you the news, but it's much more profitable to sell you the ads. So we're going to get those put in there and sprinkle the news in. So everybody there is maybe getting something from you. And now this smartphone has taken our attention and this attention economy to these unforeseen heights. And our attention is what the merchants want. Why? Because attention means something. When somebody gives you their attention, when I say, I need your attention, I always think of Dwight Schrute. You can't handle my undivided attention. (laughs) Actually, you probably could because it's so weak right now, right? Our attention becomes this very lucrative resource that people want. Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft, says, We are moving from a world where computing power was scarce to a place where it is now almost limitless and where the true scarce commodity is increasingly human attention. We have a hard time giving it. We have a hard time keeping it. And we all know that the world is trying to do everything it can to buy it at this time. What does this mean? Why share this just quick, almost interlude? Interlude. Attention means something. It is worth something. It is valuable. It is valuable. Think about it. When somebody's paying attention to you, so if I take my wife out to dinner and we sit at the table like most millennials and phone's right there, right? You guys have all seen it on each side. And now we're like, what are we going to eat? So we grab our phone because our menu's on our phone. And then there's a few things going on. I see some notifications come in. And all of a sudden I've responded to a couple of your emails. I responded to a text message of when I can meet up. And I look up and our drinks are now on the table. The chips are half gone. And my wife is sitting there looking at me going, what are we doing here? Why are we even out to dinner together? hey, babe, I'm here with you, my time, I'm 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 present with you. And she'd say, no, no, because I don't have your attention. We're probably all guilty of sitting in the room with our children or grandchildren and feeling like we're present when there's not a single thing present about us because our focus is on something else. This morning is not a conviction on that. We're going to deal with that in a few weeks it's to, draw, it's to draw your focus to what it means to get somebody's attention and how valuable that is. And here's what I want to tell you. God, God has given you his attention. God has given you his focus. God has spoken. God has given us his word, the Holy Spirit present. This attention that's given to us, this thing that we know is so valuable, God has given it to us. It's like my wife. She doesn't care if I take her out to lunch and pay for it and do all this stuff. If she doesn't have my attention, it's really a meaningless time. And yet we have a God who's given us attention. We read in the scriptures, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And truly, what we treasure in our heart is what we love, and we see this connection. Therefore, the things that we talk about, the things that we say, they tell you about the things that we value. This, this is a book about who God is, and it also tells us who we are, and God has spoke exhaustively on who we are, and he's given this attention to each and every one of us. And I know, I know that oftentimes we don't feel like that, that we cry out, where is this great, big, loving God? And we almost just close our eyes to the scriptures and ignore two, four, five, six thousand 6,000 years of history of God speaking, moving, working, and we've forgotten what God has said about us. And so in this Advent season, real quickly now, I'll talk about the attention that God gives you and why you should take hope and be encouraged today. God is attentive to you. First of all, that is deeply terrifying. <laughs> Really, God is attentive to me? In fact, any time in the Old Testament when people came before this God, what would they say? Things like Isaiah, woe unto me, I'm an unclean man. Or they'd hear words like this, take off your shoes for you are on holy ground. Oh, I can't get close to this God. But it's this warm and welcoming invitation to God. It's no longer terrifying as we have the fear of the Lord before us, but it moves us into this place of adoration and praise and it's warming And when we read the passage like we read this morning, we get this idea that the word became flesh. He didn't just simply put it on flesh to come and kick it with humanity for a little while, but he did it in this full display of God giving his attention to us and what it looks like. In Colossians, we're told that Jesus is the image of the invisible. In John, we understand that if you have seen the Son, you have seen the Father, yes, Awesome. So we're getting this idea of what God is like and how he fixates his attention towards us. Jesus physically embodied what it looked like to minister to people. Now the spirit acts in that way and the scriptures reinforce, remind, and tell us how God thinks about us. Scriptures define his character. They define his will. They define his plan and his purpose, but they tell you what he thinks about you look, I can know a lot about someone. I can think I know a lot about someone and kind of even like them. But here's a deeper question. What do they actually think about me? Because that says a whole lot about them. How would I know that? By how they speak about me. And when you read the scriptures and you get to know this God, you begin to realize what he thinks about you. And it's not what most people think. When they first come to know God. So and I've had the privilege of getting to know lots of people in that stage before knowing Christ. And if you've walked with Jesus for one, two, three, four, five, 50 years, there's an assumption that you just know God loves you. But when you're not in that place, there's an assumption of, "There's no way this God loves me." There is no way. The evidence is my life. The evidence is the pain i felt. The evidence is the way his people have treated me, have talked about me. And so there's almost this hurdle that we have to overcome when we're sharing with people who God is and what he actually says about us. And we see it in Jesus. We see it in Jesus. He says things like in Luke 12, 6 through 7, Jesus tells us our value. He says, I clothe, the Father clothes the birds and the lilies, and they're taken care of, how much more so is he going to take care of you? In Psalm 139, 13 through 18, we know that God formed us and deeply knows us. In Matthew 11, 28 through 30, we see a God who reaches out towards us. In Matthew 7, 7 through 11, he says to seek him, to talk to him, to ask of him, to spend time with him. God is attentive to our whole life, our burdens, our stresses, our joys, our wants, our needs. In fact, tucked away in Genesis, there's this little story that's a little bit messy. Abraham and Sarah, if you're not familiar with them, you can go reread it right around Genesis 12 through 16. But they go around God, they circumvent him to take hold of the promise they think is theirs, and what that looked like was having a child, but God didn't do it in their timing, so he took his slave, his handmaiden, her handmaiden, his slave, and he had a child with Hagar. And there Sarah then gets really jealous of Hagar, and so often we can read that story and be like, yeah, well, that wasn't the promised child anyway, so we're like Sarah, and we say, get her out of there. But tucked away in Genesis 16, the angel of the Lord comes to her and says, behold, you are with child, you'll bear a son, you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has given heed to your affliction." you're not Abraham in that story. Well, we kind of are. You're not Sarah in that story. We kind of are. But we are a lot like Hagar. Discarded, rejected, used, abused, not wanted. We absolutely identify with her. And God doesn't just kind of let it float off into the distance. God doesn't pull the What my tour guide in Israel said, a coincidence is God's way of staying anonymous. I like that, but guess what? God speaks. He speaks. And what does he say to her? I have given heed. I have given attention to your affliction. In Exodus 2, when people are, the Israelites are in slavery, Exodus 2, it says God hears, he knows, and he sees what's going on in their burden and in their pain. As Israel cries out and they have these troubles and they're in this situation, God is with them. Do you know? Do you know? God pays attention to you. So what should we do with this? We'll, we'll end with this, and I want to push all of you. Your words have power. They mean something. They're going somewhere. As Eugene Peterson said in the message, they bring life, they bring death, that Proverbs. Okay? They begin to shape and they begin to form you. So what are we going to do with that? What should we do with that? I don't know if you know this, but you are the most influential person in your life. Do you know why? You talk to yourself more than anybody else does. Yeah. I mean, my 10-year-old was talking to me a lot on the drive-in this morning. In fact, my wife had to turn around and be like, Daddy can't do any more questions. <laughs> like, his mind's not there anymore, babe. Okay. But, but even in those moments, I'm talking to myself saying, I can't do any more questions. We talk to ourselves. with anybody. in fact, you know, I I get up and I look in the mirror and I put on this shirt today. Not this one, it was a different one. And I went, "Mm, no, like not much is gonna make this look any better. However, I'm gonna do the best that I can. So I take that shirt off and I put a different shirt on. You know, maybe I get up in the morning and I look at myself and go, I should probably get on the treadmill this morning talking to myself about how I need to do this or do that. We talk to ourselves. And then maybe I'm on Facebook and I see somebody post something, you know, in that whole attention economy. I'm like, talking to myself, how come? Why not me? How about when, God? Is this going to happen? And I'm talking to myself throughout the day and somebody cuts me off and I start talking to myself thinking they can hear me, right? That idiot, just this self-righteous talk that I've never done that before, I would never be a bad driver. <laughs> There's a reason we don't have Redeemer stickers, right? Put one of those on the back of your car. They're going to know what kind of people you are. <laughs> Talk to ourselves. We can cause harm to ourselves. I rehash conversations that people have talked to me about and I rehash their words over and over again to myself. And I can put myself in a downward spiral. We talk to ourselves a lot, therefore, therefore, you have a lot of influence over yourself because you're in this unending conversation with yourself. And what I want to do is I want you to move from simply talking to yourself about your current situation and circumstances and look at how God talks to you. Look at what God says about you. In fact, I want you as a people to keep this in the back of your head when you're talking to other people. What does God say about your neighbor that's sitting next to you right now? I know that you might be a little bent because they brought their kid to the nursery sick last week and now your kid's sick, but what does God, that didn't happen to us, by the way, what does God, it didn't, what does God say (laughs) about you? What does God, can you begin to have this unending conversation of what God says about you? In fact, what do you regularly tell yourself about yourself, God and your circumstances? Do your words, do your words encourage your faith? Do they bring about hope? Do they bring courage to your life? Do they stimulate doubt or discouragement and fear when you begin to talk to yourself? Do they remind you that God is near? That is Advent. God is near. God is here. Hope has come. Or do you reason within yourself, Creates circumstances that he must be distant. Listen, here's the question. How as wholesome, faith-driven, Christ-centered is the conversation that you have with yourself every single day? I don't even know what God says about me. You should probably get to know him a little bit then. You should probably spend some time with him and begin to understand what he thinks and what he says about who you are. You need to remind yourself of that. Point yourself to his beauty and to his grace. Run towards him instead of running from him. Words are incredibly important. Talk is not cheap. Talk is not cheap. Talk is powerful. Again, this is not manifest destiny. This is What does the God of the universe say, determine, and declare over me? What does he do? In the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word is God. He was in the beginning. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. Listen, there was a man sent from God whose name was John came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness, the true light, which gives light to everyone coming into the world. And as we continue to progress and read through that, we begin to understand what Jesus has done and why Jesus has come and that this word is with us, that he says that grace upon grace would be given to you. You see, Advent, Jesus coming, Jesus speaking, Jesus bringing life. That's what he wants to communicate to you today. Do you know what God says about you? Do you speak that to yourself daily? I want to encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word and for what you've said about us and declared who we are as children of God. That the light has come and you've lit up our world and you've made us whole, that you've made us new, and that your attention is fixated on us, and you've spoken words of love and mercy and kindness over us. May we feel that freshness. May we be revived by what you've said about us. May we, in response, praise you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Because words have meaning, we're going to, as a church, sing the same words to our great, big, God. What I want to do is I'm going to ask you to stand with us. The communion tables, they are open during this first song. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come grab communion and we'll participate in it with one another. There's an offering box to give to what God is doing here at this church. They're in the back. But the reality is, is we're going to sing with words who God is and what God has done declaring that he is good, loving, and kind. So let's do that now together.